0: Well, go ahead and open your Bible or the Pew Bible up to Mark chapter 4, and we are somewhere in there, verse 21, I think, looking at these parables of Jesus. Mark chapter 4. Just to remind you guys, uh, we're in the middle of a section, uh, uh, in the middle of Mark's gospel chapter 4 and 5. It's basically a structure or a um, section that's uh, saying kind of here's what Jesus' ministry was like during the course of his ministry. And so there's four parables. And then we're going to see the next section starting uh, next week is four signs or miracles. So it's, they're kind of representative of these are the kinds of things going on in Jesus' ministry. Four parables, four signs. And then just a brief reminder— Is it? It's not the third Sunday, is it? It's the second. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. Again, uh, just with travel, all of a sudden I thought, oh, is it the potluck? And I forgot to mention that and bring food. Uh, Sorry. (laughs) Back to the parables of Jesus. Potluck next week. Just a reminder. There we go. We're all on the same page. (laughs) Sorry about that. Uh, Back to the parables. Uh, We looked at last week, and and just just to briefly remind, because I know uh, a, a number of families weren't here, just to remind Uh, In the middle, he teaches about, he he tells the story about four kinds of soil and then the seeds sown in them. And then the disciples say, what's that all about? And he says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those on the outside, everything's in parables. And there's sort of a paradox to the parables of Jesus. For Jesus' followers, the parables have made clear the faith as clearly as possible. In some ways, when we get to the parable of the mustard seed, for example, it's hard to imagine something, a more clear way of saying that the kingdom begins with humble origins and grows into the kingdom of God. Uh, and the parables, uh, the, the prodigal son, the parable of the the good Samaritan, these are, are are things that we learn early on if you're brought up in the faith and stick with you and shape how you think about things. But on the other hand, for those outside the kingdom, the parables paradoxically cloud the eyes, that people, it it, it blocks them from seeing Jesus' teaching. And we have a good illustration of that in the third parable we're going to look at this evening, when Jesus says, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use? It is like the grain of a mustard seed which is sown in the ground and is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Now, some people say, well, the mustard seed isn't actually the smallest seed of all the seeds. There are smaller seeds. Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about. And if that's the line you go down and get caught up on, you're missing the point of what Jesus is, is teaching. So even in people criticizing Jesus for that, they're illustrating the very principle here, that he's conveying a message through this image. And if you get hung up on saying, well, he wasn't aware that in South America, there's a different seed that's slightly smaller than the mustard seed, you know, that kind of thing. That's not the point Jesus is trying to get across here. So the parables, uh, the language Jesus uses is those who have ears to hear, let them hear. So if you have ears to hear, the parables open the kingdom to you. If you don't have ears to hear, unfortunately, they close the kingdom of you, to you. There's three parables here that we're going to look at. We looked at the parable of the four soils last time. We'll take them in turn. So we'll read a little block, uh, discuss it together, and then, and then read the next block. The first parable begins in verse 21 and goes through verse 25. And Jesus said to them, And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Okay, these sayings uh, here in this little section may sound familiar to you, but in slightly different context. And that's because each of these verses um, in, in 21 through 25 is found scattered throughout Matthew and Luke's Gospels in different spots. But Mark brings them together here, and so it seems that Jesus probably is using these parables, these, this symbolic language, to make more than one point at different times. So uh, elsewhere, he talks about the measure you use will be used to measure you a- a- in the context of giving, but here he's talking about it in the context of listening. First, the olive oil lamp in verse 21. Apparently, these olive oil lamps are the most frequently found items by archaeologists who dig in the Middle East. They're very common in houses. Uh, a lamp. And kids, what's the point of a lamp? Why do you light a lamp? Eva? I light lamps to read books, to have some light. Yeah. Get rid of the smell, is that what you said, Jack? Yeah, that's the other, the other use, use for... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Ezra? To light up your place. That's right. Yeah. So when we grew up, we had a number of oil lamps around my family's house that we used when the, on would be, the power would go out for a few days more often than it does up here. And so have some oil lamps to light, uh, when, when the power's out. Uh, and that's the point of a lamp. So if the point of a lamp is to shed light, would you bring it in and put it under a basket or the bed? (laughs) No, it doesn't make sense. Does it? Uh, This basket, the word he uses here refers to these kind of two-gallon jars that were common in the kitchen area of ancient Jewish homes. And the bed is probably referring to the sort of couches that people would recline on to eat. So he's saying, when you're setting up for a meal, where do you put the lamp? Does it go under the jar? Does it go under under the couch, under the table? No, where does the lamp go? Yeah, he says, you put it on the lampstand as high up as it can, so it sheds light on everything. Okay, what's he getting at here? What's he getting at here? Well, the parable that we looked at last week, remember he's saying the four soils and the seed. He says the seed is the word. Okay, remember what Psalm 119 says? Your word is a lamp to my feet. And there's a number of other passages like that that connect God's word as being like a lamp that's meant to give us light. Okay, so Jesus is saying the point of the word of the teaching of the kingdom of God is not for it to be hidden but for it to give light. There's a bit of strange language here, though, that the English translations smooth out a bit. Uh, In Greek, lamp is not the object of the verb. So here it says, is a lamp brought in? Someone's carrying in a lamp. In Greek, the lamp here is actually the subject of the verb. It says, does a lamp come in to go under a basket or under the bed? No, to go on the lampstand. Okay, so there's something a little bit funny going on there in the language. And I think that's cluing us in. I think Jesus is saying, I am God's lamp. I come to bring his word that gives light to your feet. He's just said in the last parable, I come to sow the word. And so he's trying to unpack that. He's saying, although initially the message of the kingdom of God is like a secret, he says, given uh, uh, the secret of the kingdom is given to you. He says that in verse 11 that we looked at last week. Although initially it's like a secret, the point is not for it to remain hidden, but to be manifest, to be revealed, to be brought forth. The secret of the kingdom of God comes to bring light and eventually clarity. Then verse 23, he repeats the same thing he says in verse nine, "If you have ears to hear, he who has ears to hear, let him hear." And then he says, "Pay attention. Pay attention. Uh, rightly recognize the meaning of Jesus' teaching. He says, the scale you use or the measure you use will be used to measure to you and more will be added to it. For the one who has, more will be given. The one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And we've seen this truth a number of times in the Gospel of Mark already. There's people around who are hearing a little bit of Jesus' teaching, but as yet, they've made no decision one way or the other. They're just part of the crowd. And Jesus is warning, saying, if you, if you listen to my teaching if you start to discover the meaning of it, if you, if you have something of the truth of the gospel, more will be given it. Progressively, you understand more and more of God's truth. But the scary fact that the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Even the sort of passing, um, you know, Jesus is at this point kind of like a celebrity. Remember, all these crowds are gathering around. But ultimately, people will, even that sort of attraction to Jesus will be taken away eventually. So 25's warning us, you can't stay on the fence about Jesus forever. Any other observations or, or comments just on that first little section of teaching there? Okay, the next two parables then unpack this process. Uh, the light initially, he says uh, in verse 11 uh, that we looked at last week, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. So initially, it's like it's hidden But everything that's hidden will be made manifest. The secrets will be revealed. The next two parables then talk about what that process looks like. But now he goes back from lights to seeds again. And these last two parables are both about seeds. And both of these two parables, now he's explicitly saying, what I'm talking about is the kingdom of God, not just lights and seeds and sowing. The third parable of these four, the one that begins in 26, emphasizes the process by which a seed grows And then the last parable of the mustard seed contrasts the humble beginnings with the the ultimate uh, uh, plant that grows from the seed. Uh, Beginning in verse 26 now through 29. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Kids, has anyone planted any seeds yet this year? It's a little bit early. Jackass. You got some starts? Right, yeah. Starts indoors? Yeah. Yeah, oh, Gene has starts going too. None of the kids though. Come on, guys. You're getting shown up. How about do you have plans for a garden? Do some vegetables? Okay. I see meat must do. You're nodding yes, Anya? Good, good. Okay, so you're pla- in the planting phase. But you sow the seeds, and then what happens? Yeah, Lulu? They grow? they grow. Do you go out and make them grow? You don't give them a little massage to get them to grow, or sit on them like a chicken to get them to grow? Nothing like that? How- <laughs> that would kill them. How do they grow? <laughs> <laughs> you got a stab at it? The the yeah, the water and the power of God. Perfect answer. Yeah, so they need some water, they need some sunlight, but ultimately God induces them with a, with a power. They grow. Okay, so what's Jesus getting at here? He's saying, uh, he's already talked about in, in, in this previous parable that we looked at last week the sower sows, sows the word, the preaching of the kingdoms going about. Now it's not even sowing, which implies more like you have some rows in an order. Um, scattering seeds sounds like what sometimes I do Of I just rip off the top of the wild seed pack and kind of chuck them out on some bare ground and you know whatever comes up comes up that's kind of uh, that might be killing Albert to hear me my lackadaisical (laughs) gardening approach but you know some of us just yeah we scatter seeds we see what happens we see what doesn't happen that seems to be the attitude here there's not really even rhyme or reason to it he sleeps he rises day and night and then the seed grows he knows not how the earth produces by itself What's he getting at here by this parable? Well, he says it's a parable about the kingdom of God. Okay, and he's already said that the sower is like one preaching the word. So he's saying we scatter seeds. We talk about Jesus, maybe just in passing on the bus with someone or in class or, uh, you know, at a family reunion, whatever it is, we have these passing encounters. Or maybe we have a friend we've been working with for a long time and we, we want to talk to him about our faith. Whatever those things are, we, we sow seeds round about. We scatter seeds. But ultimately, we don't even understand how the kingdom grows. Uh, I mean, we do, but we don't in the technical details. The best commentary then on this parable is provided by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He's talking about, you know, the the Corinthians, you'll recall, have this debate. They're saying, you know, some are saying, well, we're Pauline Christians, and others are saying, well, we're Apollyon Christians. We follow Apollos. And Paul's saying, this is nonsense. And so remember in 1 Corinthians 3, he says, uh, I planted, I scattered the seed, Apollos watered. You got the right thing there. It needs planting and watering. But God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. Okay. So the kingdom seeds we scatter or Jesus is scattering and yet ultimately God will grow the kingdom. Verse 29 uh, initially seems like a natural end to this parable. Once your grain grows up you harvest it, right? That's the natural course of things. But Jesus is is fairly clearly here alluding back to Joel chapter 3, the end of the prophet Joel. And in Joel 3, verse 13, he says, Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. And Jesus uses the same language here. A little bit larger context from Joel chapter 3. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring your warriors, O Lord. Let nations stir themselves up and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit and judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, go for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened, and stars withdraw their shining. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel." Okay, this uh, Jesus seems to be alluding then to Joel's image of the final judgment. So not only does uh, a man go out and scatter seeds around, God gives growth to those seeds into the kingdom of God, and yet there's this warning that at the end there is this final harvest, this final judgment like we reflected on this morning. I think this is an imp- important parable for us. Uh, we can look at scattering seeds or you know that it it seems uh, haphazard (laughs) there's not a strategy to it our tendency is to think we need some master program and then we can figure out how to get this kingdom growing you know uh, we want to figure out the um, the right compost mix or the right uh, uh, what do you call it miracle grow you know some kind of a way to get the kingdom going uh, in my dad's church on Whidbey Island, there's a woman named Velma Fry. who's 103 years old. Um, she graduated from Northwest, then Bible Institute, Northwest College, where I went in Kirkland, uh, during World War II. And when she graduated, most of the men were gone. Her and another woman felt that they were called to, that needed to be a church in a town in eastern Washington. I think it was in the OMAC area. So they went over there, these two women, and they met together each Sunday morning and prayed together for 40 weeks, <laughs> And then on the 41st week, a third person came, and from there it went, and there's a church in that town today that began with its roots there. Okay, no church planning network says, here's the strategy, find two women, send them out, let them pray, and the the church will be there. That's just not how we think. We want to have a program. We want to have a system. We need fundraising, all that kind of stuff. And yet, that, that's all important. We should give to, keep giving a church plan. I'm not saying that we should have strategy. We should think, I'm not downplaying any of that. And yet we need to recognize that ultimately, God gives the growth. Uh, God is the one at work growing the kingdom. We are simply called to scatter seeds. Another example, um, uh, many of you are familiar with the, the ministry at Sacred Road, uh, White Swan, uh, on the Yakima Reservation there. At our last presbytery meeting, we ordained a young man named Tomo Ito, who was an undergraduate at Berkeley, part of the RUF down there. Their RUF program went for a summer mission to Sacred Road on the Yakima Reservation. While he was there, he felt called to keep working with Native American tribes on reservations, Uh, totally unbeknownst to anyone in our presbytery, in our churches, I think not necessarily even known to anyone there at, at, at Sacred Road. He went from graduating at Berkeley. You know, he kept thinking about this. He graduated from Berkeley. He went to uh, one of the seminaries back east. He's been there studying for three years. And then he's come back and he said, here's what I want to do. And he contacted Sacred Road. I mean, he's been in contact with Sacred Road, but, but to someone like me, and I'm actually the clerk of the Presbytery, so I kind of know what's going on. And yet, I just think, here's this need for ministry on the reservations. I don't have a philosophy for it. I don't know what to do about it. And yet, totally unbeknownst to me, God has been working for the last four or five years, raising up a minister to go in and and start a new project. Actually, he's going to eventually start a project on a a reservation in Oregon. And so it's just uh, these reminders that God is doing all kinds of things that we we don't see. Uh, We don't know behind the scenes what he's doing. Ultimately, we're like the the guy who scatters seeds, uh, we don't know how it grows. Uh, uh, it needs some water, and we know it needs God, but beyond that, <laughs> who, who, who really understands those dynamics? Any other comments before we go on to the mustard seed here? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he just proclaimed the truth. He didn't try to justify the truth or anything. Yeah. And in many ways that's the truth. He just proclaim the truth. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. and that's I me mean, kind of maybe more behind the scenes than you want to know. But I uh, in the text this morning, Jesus says there's a narrow way strive to enter the narrow way in other places it explains okay there's this substitutionary atonement you need someone to stand in your place all these sorts of things in that text it doesn't really give us any of that it just says there is a narrow door i'm (laughs) it's through me or you're cast into the outer you know i'll say i never knew you um and there can be even a sort of like well i need to explain this to everybody so it seems reasonable to them and yet that's not what jesus does he says there's a narrow door (laughs) enter before it's too late and so we yeah it's that um At times, that stark appeal. I mean, there is room for. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, thanks, Albert. Okay, the third parable then, it begins in verse 30, and we'll read all the way through 34. Uh, Oh, sorry, picking up the larger theme. Okay, he's speaking in parables, it's like a secret. But ultimately, the goal is to be like a lamp to shed light to the world. So the goal is not for it to remain a secret forever. That's some kind of a secret cult that only those on the inside know about. He's saying eventually this is going to shed light to the whole world. Okay, how does that happen? Well, the kingdom of God's a bit like when you just chuck some seeds out. You don't really know how it's going to happen. God gives the growth. Now he has another parable again saying how this all works together. He said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he began to explain everything. Again, uh, Jesus begins here. He says, with what shall I compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It's a little, I mean, it sounds a bit like he's just scratching his head. He's saying, well, what, let, let me think of another parable here. I'm stuck on seeds. Okay, here's, a, here, here's one. And, and perhaps that's a little bit of it. But I think, again, Jesus is actually alluding back to the prophets and not just me. I, I, a lot of people see him as alluding to Isaiah 40 verse 18. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? And Isaiah forty twenty five: To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. So Isaiah forty eighteen: there, it's saying the same way Jesus begins. Isaiah, with whom will you compare God? Uh, uh, Jesus in Mark's gospel, with what shall we compare the kingdom of God? Well, let's keep reading a little bit in Isaiah 40. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Who stretches, he stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. He brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth, when he blows on them, and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom will you compare me? Okay, God, in Isaiah 40, saying, this is my vast power. Uh, I created the heavens and the earth. I stretched them out like a tent. I simply blow on kingdoms, and they topple over. What are you going to compare me to? What indeed, guys? If you wanted to talk uh, uh, kids, Ethan, uh, uh, or, or maybe Fay or someone, if you wanted to tell someone what God's power is like, uh, Tobin, what would you compare God to? Abram, what would you, if you wanted, if someone said, how strong is God, what would you compare him to? <laughs> yeah, Lulu? Nothing. You'd compare him to nothing? Okay. <laughs> nothing to compare him to? Yeah, yeah, that's probably a good answer. Yeah, that's what Isaiah's getting at. Um, maybe, maybe we have a young theologian in our midst here. Uh, the world? Yeah, so he's like, it's powerful as the whole earth. Yeah. Maybe we'd say a, 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 a hurricane, a tornado, a tsunami, a lion. Yeah, Lulu? The universe, the universe yeah. A, 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 a champagne supernova exploding across the skies. Who, know, who knows what the, um, compare to. Well, what does Jesus compare God's kingdom to? Nothing massive. What does he compare it to? A grain of mustard seed, which is the smallest of seeds. Now, we should back up because people do say these sorts of annoying things like, well, that's not actually the smallest seed. Okay, when Jesus is speaking and when the Bible is speaking, it uses words to make a point, and that point is the infallible message. When it talks in a vernacular way or or, or an everyday way, saying "The the smallest of the seeds that we garden with, the smallest of the seeds in our experience, that's what we use. It's not trying to say... Of every seed that will ever be discovered by humanity, this is the absolute smallest. It's not making that kind of a botanical claim. Does that make sense? So uh, we can kind of push, push Jesus, push the Bible too far if we try and infer those sorts of facts that he's not making. Nevertheless, he's saying of the seeds that we plant in our garden, the mustard seed is the smallest. And yet... We don't know how it grows, but when it grows, here the contrast is not, or he's not, the focus isn't on the process, but the contrast between the smallest seed and then this garden plant that puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. I know, um, I, I guess we only have, maybe Noah's the only one who's been through our high school, Sunday school in recent years. Did you do Daniel with Mr. Gibson? You don't remember? Okay. Yeah, okay. Okay, well then I won't, I won't pick on you. I forgot that we haven't. Uh, do you remember though in, in, um, in Daniel chapter 4, maybe others of you as well remember, uh, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and Daniel's called to interpret it for him. And he says, the tree which you saw, which grew and became strong, so its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the ends of the whole earth. Leaves were beautiful and fruit abundant, its food And under it, the beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the kingdom of heaven lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, your dominion to the ends of the earth. And actually, Ezekiel uses the same image, that it's of a mighty king and his kingdom. And the birds are like these lesser little kingdoms that sort of shade under the wing or in the branches of this tree. So again, I think Jesus is probably alluding to Daniel here. He's saying, remember Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom? The mustard seed is going to grow greater than the whole kingdom of Babylon. So the kingdom of God, initially it's a secret, but it's going to bring light to the whole world. Although it's initially hidden, it'll bring light to the whole world. It grows through God's power, not through our machinations or plans, and the kingdom of God begins with humble origins and eventually grows to fill the whole earth. And the humblest origin beginning of the kingdom of God is Jesus himself. After all, if you were going to come up with a big plan to change the entire world, would you pick a Palestinian carpenter on the margins of the Roman Empire? I mean, it's hard to imagine a more humble beginning to the kingdom of God. And yet you see the church spread throughout the world today. Of course, we kind of have in modern society now, this is a not unfamiliar story, right? That things begin with Luke Skywalker out on the outer rim in Tatooine that no one's expecting, right? But the reason why we tell stories like that now is because of the gospel, because people are imitating the gospel story of change. But before that, that's not how things how you tell stories, it's the king and his palace decided to set out, you know, uh, Alexander the Great would be the best example of a world empire before um, uh, Jesus. Uh, Of course, there's other empires like the Roman Empire, but Alexander the Great, it's unbelievable. I'm sorry, I'm just going on a tangent now. So when the clock hits the red mark, Sarah, just go ahead and throw (laughs) something at me. Uh, But I've been listening to some podcasts on Alexander the Great and just how far he went, that the Roman Empire expanded bigger, but Alexander did all that in his lifetime. And yet Alexander dies, his kingdom gets parceled out. It eventually crumbles within a century. Uh, but he begins, Philip of Macedonia is his father. I mean, he begins in the palace. Aristotle is his tutor. He has everything possible. A king for a father, a great military at his disposal, uh, the, the, the best philosopher as his own teacher. Okay, that's where Alexander the Great starts from. Jesus, he's off in the corner of Palestine, a humble Palestinian carpenter. And yet from that mustard seed, Grows this tree that set, sends out branches uh, uh, that grows throughout the world and and again it 's a pattern that keeps repeating there 's a couple patterns that the kingdom, because it 's christ 's kingdom repeats and follows one is Christ dies, and yet in his death is his victory and We see that pattern repeated that things look like they 're at their worst things are look like they 're falling apart, and yet in that is where Uh, god brings new life brings new life god's doing something that we don't see coming Uh, again the kingdom of god begins with the mustard seed the humble origins and it keeps growing and that pattern keeps repeating itself throughout church history so it's not necessarily in the center of power it's not necessarily whoever has the most money and influence and all of that but oftentimes the kingdom of god comes through humble origins that uh even someone like John Calvin. I mean, he's a law student, so he's well-trained at the University of Paris, but then he gets in trouble for putting up Reformation posters around Paris and has to flee from France, from his homeland. So he's basically an uh, an immigrant, a refugee of war. So imagine someone coming out of Ukraine now, fleeing from Ukraine somewhere else, and then ending up becoming a major leader of a new Reformation. I mean, that's basically the equivalent of Uh, uh, of calvin or or uh, and the story keeps repeating itself throughout church history um but it keeps repeating itself throughout church history because church history is about christians and christians follow the pattern of christ and christ himself is that humble seed any other uh comments or observations or should we turn to our time of prayer Okay, so we're through the four parables, and then we're going to turn to four signs or miracles. Uh, really some exciting stuff in the next. I mean, this is exciting stuff, too, but I'm, I'm looking forward to the next section. Some some great stories there um, uh, the next couple weeks. Um, in fact, I might have to figure out how to mess with things so that I can teach my favorite story and not have it be on the last, uh, or maybe I'll let Nader or Dan teach my favorite story coming up, but either way. Um, how about uh, prayer requests? Obviously, there's a lot of needs in our community.